Welcome to Ivania Talks Mental Health. I am your host, Ivania. I am a clinical therapist, a writer, I'm a survivor. I created this podcast so we can talk about difficult topics within mental health. I want to remove the stigma, normalize therapy, and empower you through shared stories. So let's talk about it and empower one another. This is a disclaimer. Some of this content can be triggering, so please be mindful and be aware. Welcome to Season 1, Trauma Monologues, where I interview women willing to share their healing journeys. We all have a story, so take a listen. So how about we get started? Tell us a little bit about what you do for a living. I'm Shamari, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist intern in Vegas, and I am also a relationship and intimacy coach, and I specialize in millennial women and helping them to get confidence and pleasure so that they no longer have to settle for lack of satisfaction, especially in relationships. I like that you mentioned millennial. What makes that population a little bit more unique than dealing with Gen Z or, I mean, they're a little younger, but even Gen X and Y? Well, primarily because that's what I attract. I'm a millennial, so I feel like they're more attracted to me and I speak loudest to them, probably because I'm with them. (laughs) But the things that they face are a little bit different too, just because, you know, the huge technology shift and like we're, we're in the middle. So we're not like super into everything that comes out like the younger generation, but we catch on much more quickly than the older generations. So I feel like just the way that I would reach them would have to be way different the way that I would speak to them would have to be way different. And I just don't think that they connect as well to the way that I present. Okay. What culture and ethnicity do you identify with? I'm Black. Let's go ahead and share a little bit about your trauma story. Okay. So my most impactful trauma, because I mean, obviously, I think that most people know if you're a person of color in America, you probably had several instances. And most of that, I feel like was mostly normalized. So like I grew up in the hood and things like that. So like, it was just like normal. That was life for me. So like, I feel like even though people who maybe grew up differently may have looked at that as like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that. I don't think that it impacted me in the way that it would impact someone like that, because I was just, that's all that I know. Now, as I grew up and I'm no longer in those circumstances, I can see how someone would view it that way. So I would say that there's that, but the most impactful trauma that I've experienced is my rape when I was 17. And that, I mean, I feel like at that time, like you're young and you kind of overlook things that maybe you would pick up on as an older person. So like even recently, I was just kind of thinking back to like, okay, so how, like, how did these steps happen? Or like, you know, when you speak to people in counseling or even with the coaching, like talking about, okay, making sure that you're picking up on these signs that something is wrong. And at 17, you think you know everything. (laughs) So I didn't, like, I thought it was cute. Like, this is my space age and like, he would be like obsessed with my pictures and like he would talk about like how pretty I was and how excited he was to speak to me and just like 
wanting to like possess me more so than being interested in me as a person. Like this is a goal that I need to attain rather than, oh, she's cool. Let me get to know her sort of thing. And that's something that as an adult, obviously I would think about, but as 17, I'm like, oh, he thinks I'm the best thing in the world. Like, this is great. Like, I love this, like someone to like worship you. And so I didn't even speak to him that long, but it quickly spiraled basically. And I feel like I, I don't want to say let my guard down because I shouldn't have to have my guard up in the first place, but I feel like that is what happened. And so when that happened, I don't necessarily think the terrible guy or he meant ill. I don't really know. I didn't know him that well, but I feel like I started crying and he stopped and I never spoke to him ever again. Like I cried that night. I went to sleep. I woke up. I told no one. And that I felt like was not a big deal. Like, okay, I'll just move past it. Act like it never happened. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Were you, if you don't mind me asking, I wanted to retract to something you mentioned, how growing up in the hood, I grew up in South LA. So I kind of understand almost like it's the bubble. Like there's a bubble and you realize, oh, this stuff is not normal, Mm -hmm. right? And so I could totally relate to that. I witnessed riots. I witnessed like the racism. I mean, just certain, it's just so delicate as a Latina, you know, being a minority in the hood and you know it's just all these different things that come at you where especially growing up there you stay in that bubble for so long and you come out and you're like oh snap that is so not normal and it does it is traumatizing you know it is a trauma that you experience that I don't think a lot of people that didn't grow up in those circumstances may not quite understand mm-hmm. but so you mentioned that and then this happening to you do you think because of growing in that particular bubble, we'll call it in the hood, quote unquote, do you think that that was the reason why you kind of just handled it the way you handled it? Especially because, I mean, you were so young. I never really kind of put that into perspective, but I, I do think that that probably had at least a little bit to do with it. Like you're just so used to dealing with things that you don't, make a big deal out of things like you know like oh I'll just I'll just get through it and I'll just keep going and striving to survive and striving to do better for myself so I think that that probably had something to do with it for sure and then obviously like you know all the other stuff like the shame I don't want people to look at me like well what were you doing to put yourself in that situation or like oh you were being fast that's what you get or even just pity too like I didn't want people to feel bad, like, oh my God, that's so sad. And oh my God, you must be broken. And I didn't want the responses that I may have gotten. So I think it was a combination of like, oh, you just deal with things. That's just what you do. Like that's understood. That's kind of how we are. So it was that. And then also just not, I don't want to deal with what people would say. Yeah. And then I had a question to ask you, and I don't know if you feel comfortable me asking you this, but was this your first sexual encounter? Like, did ever, or were you already active prior to that? So, my first time. Um, so, I think I kind of went over that in um, therapy as well. It wasn't the first time, but it was pretty early on. Yeah, so, I yeah. think that that definitely 
it shaped my choices thereafter because I was being very selective, like very specific beforehand. And I think I was less so after. And I think that's definitely why. Oh, that's such a, you know, as you share your story, it just, you know, even though we're therapists, right? And it's very hard to hear these stories sometimes, even from Mm -hmm. right now, as I'm here listening to your story, I'm like getting chills and I can't even imagine a 17 year old having to carry that. That's just heartbreaking. But Mm -hmm. after this, I mean, you mentioned a little bit how that kind of led to other behaviors that maybe you weren't so selective. I mean, what was your breaking point after that, where you were like, I need to get help or I have to heal and healing is ongoing. I think that I ignored it pretty not well, because obviously like I was not making the best choices with life, but I think that I kind of suppressed it for so long. So that was when I was 17. I went to college and then I started grad school and I did, I went straight after. So um, like five, six years later, when I was in grad school, I met my now husband uh-huh. at the time. He was just kind of a guy in my life and I just got out of a relationship. So I was like, okay, we could be friends with benefits. We can hang out whatever. I was new. I was in Miami. He was there for a while. I was like, show me around sort of thing. Right. So once we started our friends with benefits situation, he noticed that I would dissociate a lot Mm -hmm. of intercourse or just be intimate, like very closely. And for me, no one had ever said anything. So I just thought everything's great. I'm like, not normal, but like, there's no issue. Like there's no reason for me to have to deal with anything because nothing's wrong. Like, so when he mentioned that, that kind of prompted me to kind of think about, okay. And then I finally, like, it was the first time I had ever even said that this had happened. So for all that time, I never, like, since that day, I never talked about it. No one has ever asked me like, Hey, what's going on with you? never until he did like five or six years later. And during that time, I was in grad school to be a therapist. So obviously we're going through all of the coursework, learning how mm-hmm. to help other people. And it's like, hey, you have things you need to do and you need to figure out for yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself, not only to be a better therapist, but also just to be a better you. And so that's something that pushed me into that direction. And that's when I finally did start going to therapy. It sounds like timing was so important at that moment in your life. I think what I find fascinating about grad school, it's very exposing. It exposes yourself, right? As you learn about the theories and (laughs) everything, it's like, oh man, like I have these issues and it's very healing in a sense. But again, the healing is ongoing. You just keep going. You didn't stop after the trauma. It's just like you kept going, you kept going, you kept going, and you were able to push through that and yet now doing the work, right? And I think that's so interesting that for some women are very strong, you know, and not to take away from men. I think that I'm not taking away that's a different series that I'm going to work on, but women, wow, so resilient. How do you think this experience I know that right now you're working on your coaching business, right? With with couples and intimacy. But how has this experience shaped you and made you the person that you are today outside as a therapist and outside of your role as a therapist? 
I think it's made me a lot more compassionate in a different way. Because I feel like I, I was always kind of compassionate, but just knowing that I hid this for so long and then I was just living my life seemingly fine. Like I went to a very nice private school. Like I got in and I was able to go to a very nice college. I got into a good grad school. So like I seemingly was very successful. Like I, not I wasn't popular, but like I had friends, like I did activities, like on the outside looking in, it looks like, oh, this is a very well put together young lady. And I was sort of. (laughs) So I just, I think that when I look at other people, you never know what someone is experiencing or what they're going through or what they have already gone through. And so it just makes me a lot more understanding. So I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt more so than I would have, I think, Mm. if I didn't go through something like this. So just being a little bit more compassionate than I would have. And then, I don't know, it just makes me want to help. That's why I wanted to do, especially with the coaching, like women, um, because I feel like a lot of, I'm not the only one, basically, like a lot of women, we know a lot of women have experienced trauma, they've experienced assault, abuse, all of it. And sometimes we don't know where to go or we can even talk to, like maybe we don't want to go to therapy because, you know, there's the stigma we're working on it. Like, I feel like people are becoming more comfortable with it, but it's still something like people feel a little bit weird about. They're like, oh, counseling is cool, but I'm not going to go. Um, I think it's great that people do it, but I don't think I should. I don't, I don't think I need to go. So they need something or someone to show them or to make them see what it's really about, or even just have other resources that they can turn to. So, and someone that has been there, I think is important for them to feel comfortable to do it. So that's why I think it's important that you're doing this and that I say something like I have to share my experience. What you mentioned right now, how people may say, oh yeah, you know, counseling is good. Therapy is good, but I'm not going to do it. And it's almost like living up to this persona or expectation that you put on yourself and you need to do the work. Like there's a necessity to do the work. And also I feel that unfortunately therapy is expensive, you know, and it's so hard. I mean, it's expensive and it's a privilege to be able to do therapy. And of course, there's so many programs that do community-based therapy. Are you able to identify like those people that have been through what you've been through? Like, is there something that you recognize? Like, I feel that trauma recognizes trauma. Do you think that there's that added sixth sense to you when it comes to other victims of rape? I think that sometimes there definitely is like, or like I'll feel more drawn to someone or maybe they'll feel more comfortable speaking to me. And I can kind of tell just by some of the things that they say, I never want to assume. And I also don't want to ask because I know that if someone, if they, like, I feel like if they were to ask me and before I was ready, that would be traumatizing too. So I try not to do that, especially like within my friend group or like if I meet someone just in like a social setting, just because that's really not the place. So sometimes you can definitely kind of pick up on things. And I always try to let people kind of understand like this, this, and this, these are things that are probably not okay. And if these are the things that are going on, then 
we, you might want to look into that sort of thing, just because sometimes people don't even know. Like for me, I don't think that I even knew that I was raped until like I admitted like, oh, I was in this situation. This is what happened. I didn't want to. I said, no, I was crying. But like, you really don't piece it together in that way. And and maybe because I was really young too, like you don't yeah. connect dots. So I didn't even really know that that's what it was. Like, I just thought like, oh, it was a sucky situation and don't want to do that again. And that was it. And I know you mentioned that you went to therapy. You got to a point where you started going to therapy. When you're dealing with clients and helping them in their challenges that they have with intimacy, what are the interventions that you use with people like that? How do you get them to a point where they could have intimacy with their partner? So it's a lot of, obviously, of the kind of process through like the experience and understanding what it was and kind of like the reaction to and normalizing that because I think a lot of times too people think that oh well something's wrong with me because I think as women especially we all know that most women have been sexually harassed sexually assaulted in some way so maybe not being raped but maybe someone touched your butt when you were on the bus or like you know like we all like we all almost every woman that has had some type of experience like that. So just kind of normalizing like, hey, you're not the only one that has gone through something like this. And responding in these ways are all normal ways. So some women, maybe they kind of shut down and they don't want anyone to touch them. They lose all sorts of trust. And for some women, sometimes it can be kind of on the other end and they become more promiscuous or they hypersexualize in response. And all of that is normal. And I think that sometimes we compare ourselves to someone else. We're like, well, if you were raped, you wouldn't want to have sex with anyone anymore. So you must be fine. Or if you were raped and you don't want to have sex with anyone, why do you want to be in a relationship with someone if you're not going to be able to give them that? So I feel like there's a lot of kind of comparison, but then also expectations that we have. So it's kind of breaking down those myths and the stigma and kind of re-educating and and reframing it all so that they kind of understand at the basis. And then from there, then obviously you can kind of work on if you really do want to have intimacy, whether that's just being close, because you don't have to have sex if you don't want to. But even if that's just being close, physically close to someone and having comfort in that, there's obviously activities and things that you can do from there. But first we have to you have to get through how you're feeling and what that looks like and what that means so that we can reframe it for you and make it so that that's not your story. Yeah. You made such an important point how the after effects of somebody who has gone through that could look very different. Somebody who has completely shut down to somebody who has become hypersexual. It looks very different. We all react to trauma very different. It's something that you could passed down right Mm -hmm. and I think it's so powerful right but when you decide I'm going to heal from this I'm going to overcome this trauma it's not going to define me I think that's like such a turning point for people Mm -hmm. how would you say that God or your highest power or your spirituality has played a role in your healing so I'm the type of person I believe 
that everything does happen for a reason and things fall into place. And like you mentioned, like the divine intervention, divine timing, like that's just how, like I firmly believe in it. So even like the sucky experiences that I've had in my life, I feel like I needed that in order to be where I am today. So if I had not gone through that, I think that I would still be a nice person. I would still be a therapist because by that time I had already decided that's what I wanted to do. But I think the way that I am a therapist, the way that I interact with people would have been slightly different. My level of understanding would have been slightly different. So, and then as far as the coaching goes, I may not have had the idea of doing that. Because part of that came from, you know, with therapy, you can only see the people within the state and yeah. it just limits your reach, which is not a bad thing necessarily. But in order to help more people who are going through these things, who are maybe looking for someone like me, because that's also a thing when you're looking for help, trying to find someone who's going to be understanding and understand you culturally, as well as having the expertise that you're looking for. So I just felt like that is born from me going through that experience. So I absolutely believe everything happens for a reason. And even when I dislike it, not necessarily hate it, but when I dislike it, when I'm unhappy with something, I think about that. So that like, I would not be placed in these situations if it were not for a higher purpose. It's so hard to get to that point. And I love that with your coaching business, you're able to reach people outside of your state lines and also to other Black women. Because Mm -hmm. I feel there's a need of more minority women being in this field so that we could relate culturally. There's a preference for so many reasons. It's not that we assume that maybe somebody that's outside our race is less competent, nothing like that. It's just there's similarities, there's culture competency. The understanding at a different level, like I completely agree. And I think it's very important. I used to work for an insurance company and people, they would call and like, you know, you can kind of tell when you when you talk to someone, like you can kind of tell their background. And sometimes people would feel weird about saying like, oh, I would kind of prefer, like, are you able to do? Yes, you can ask for what you want. Like, it's totally okay. And I don't think it's offensive at all because I've had only white or Caucasian therapist. And I feel like there was kind of uh, like, they just some of the things that I would typically say just in my life, I feel like they don't understand it. They don't get it. And they would tell you like, oh, I can't, right. Like I can't understand everything. And like, you can't. And obviously not all Black women or all Latinx providers are going to know exactly everything that you say or have the same exact experience because we're all individuals. But there's just so much more of a broad understanding. Like there's kind of that basis, like we get it at least here and they're, they're getting it down here. So like it makes sense that you would want that and it's okay. Like it's sort of like, yes, you can get what you want and a therapist, you can. You mentioned Mm -hmm. that you had mostly Caucasian therapists. How was your experience with your therapist and have you been able to find a therapist within your ethnicity, your culture background? The therapist that I've had, it's been a mix. So I had some that were good. And then I've had some that were like, eh. And the reason that I chose the therapist that I did 
because being where I was located, so first time grad school, you know, you get the free, you get whatever you get, basically, you know, so I'm going for free. I can't really, you know, like I'm going to do what I need to do. I don't have money to pay to go see someone outside of this, right? So you get what you get. It was fine. She, it, was, it wasn't like she was bad. It was fine. It was the first time that I was speaking about it. So she really helped like, with the normalizing and kind of breaking down, explaining that like it's not my fault, even if I was in a sketchy situation, I, I don't control other people. So that was very helpful for me to just hear that because, you know, like I said, I feared what people would say, feared what people would think. So that was helpful. After that, I lived in San Diego and I was looking specifically for a sex therapist, someone that specialized in sex and sexual assault and rebuilding intimacy, rebuilding trust and those sorts of things. And there were no, no men of color. Wow. Zero. So, and I think there was like one Caucasian. So it's like, this is, I guess this is where I'm going. And that was why, just because there was a lack of options. And that and this was before COVID and everything. Mm-hmm. So this is you go there. So like, it wasn't like I was looking in the whole state, which probably would have made it a lot easier, honestly. But I wanted to go somewhere that wasn't more than 10 miles away from my house. Like, I don't want to have to go too far. So like, there was a lot of limitations with it. And I don't feel that she was super helpful, but I mean, the accountability of it, I guess was helpful in me doing a lot of my own work. I mean, she gave me a lot of resources and places to go to look for things. So I feel like that's what that served its purpose for, for her to connect me to other resources to do my own work. And then after that, I had another one. She was pretty good. She didn't specialize in sex or anything, but I think that she was much more helpful than than the sex therapist. I wish that I would have had the opportunity to find a person of color that specialized in sex, um, just because that's intimacy, that that's what I need. So obviously my trauma and everything, I feel like I've gotten the tools, I've processed through that. It's still ongoing and we can touch on that, but really just like the intimacy and the rebuilding sort of thing. I wanted someone who specialized and that was hard. And I think that's part of why I wanted to do this as well. It's like, I need to be that person now. And you know what else comes to mind that there is a different perspective on sex with every culture, culturally, Mm -hmm. that alone, you know, that it just looks different. It looks different. It's so important to find somebody who understands how culturally you view sex and the role it plays in your partnership with your significant other is just so different. But I think that It's so important that there needs to be more people of color covering and specializing in your field, your particular field, because it's needed. And I'm curious, I don't have statistics in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised that minority women have high rates of being rape victims. And a lot of it goes unreported. So we may not even have a Mm -hmm. real number. Do you think eventually you will be training other women of color to do what you do? That's the goal. Like I really, we need it so bad. And I always say, I wish that I would have had that sooner. And like, obviously everything happens for a reason. I firmly believe that, but I really, like, I wish that there was just more so that 
even if I wasn't ready, I know that it's there. So when I am ready, I know where to go. And I want that for everyone. So hopefully this cannot be an issue anymore, but humans can be sucky sometimes and, and it, it happens. So if it's going to continue to happen to people and they're going to continue to have these experiences, I want them to know that there's help and that there's help that looks like them, help that has been through it too, and proof that you can work through it and you can kind of, you can persevere and you can be successful in your managing of it, but also just in life, you can feel more healed, not fully because you you keep doing that, but you can feel more healed. You can feel more whole. What would you like to see therapists do in practice when dealing with rape victims? And like, what is a particular intervention or or approach that you want to see more therapists, you know, do in practice? So I think that at least for me personally and thinking about it, like, you know, this is the first time that you're saying it. And I I think that most people are are pretty kind of soft in how they handle it and their reaction, but also just better understanding the individual's reaction, just because I think that a lot of times, as soon as they hear it, they're like, oh my God, but you know, that wasn't your fault. I'm so sorry. But you don't even know really how I feel about it yet. Like I through that yet and I feel like sometimes especially as a therapist like I get it like somebody says oh I don't want to be here anymore like we immediately like we know we have to do these things ethically we know we have to do these things to make sure that we're keeping them safe and that we're keeping our license safe so like I get it but I feel like sometimes we kind of rush to that to like Mm -hmm. oh you're okay this is what we're gonna do you know that wasn't your fault that shouldn't have happened, but really just listening and hearing what that experience is, because maybe that's not necessarily what I need to hear, or maybe I already know that and you repeating it is great, but that's not what I need right now. Mm -hmm. So I think just kind of listening a little bit more initially to hear first what the person needs and then meet them with their needs. And then obviously you can, you do all that too, because that's what you have to do. Like, that's important. But I think that's important, at least in the beginning for me. That makes a lot of sense because it's uncomfortable because it's something that we've never dealt with. You want to rush the healing process, but every single client is different. For some clients, their trauma could be something that they minimize and they're going to need time to actually see it, how big it is, right? just keeps coming back to me especially when you grow up in a certain environment that just makes you have this thick skin and it's like no we're gonna keep going it's just such a different approach there was no way that I would have cracked you know like for healing to happen with Mm -hmm. that approach which kind of reminds me of somebody that I went to go see one time because she was offering me solutions telling me well you don't need to this is just an example you don't need to work there you could just She told me, I was very stressed with work and she told me, well, maybe you don't need to work. Maybe you could just depend on welfare for right now. And I was just like, what? Like, do you know, like how much of my independence and what it means to me, like for me to be independent, like, I mean, it just, for this therapist to give me those solutions, quote unquote. Right. I get exactly what you're saying. There's like, because you're uncomfortable, you don't know what to say, like you, you're not saying the right thing. And you right. have to know me as a person 
and that culture barrier sometimes, unfortunately, is there. Is there. Right. And then sometimes too, when you do stuff like that, like you could have stopped going to therapy. Like that could have been the end. Like, see, clearly this is not for me. Right. And you can use that as a reason why you see, I tried this lady don't know what she's talking about. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. And I think that can happen to a lot of people. And especially if like, obviously we're therapists, this is what we want to do with our life. So we kind of have an idea of what it should be and what it shouldn't be. But a lot of people don't know. They have no idea what it should or should not be. So if they experience something like that, which is disgusting, they wouldn't know that that's not normal. I've met other women that have that experience and they are resistant to therapy. So I know it happens more than not. It happens often. But there is a need for more minority therapists in those roles outside of community-based more private practice, more, you know what I mean? Like there needs to be more diversity. What would be your advice to other women that have gone through your situation? It's not a weakness in any way to speak about it. Speaking about it has freed me. Like I feel like for so long, I was so angry. Like I still get angry, but I was so angry. Like all the time I was just very frustrated. I was acting out in ways that I probably would never if I hadn't had that experience. So it changed my character. Like it changed who I was and I allowed it to for so long. And like what frustrated me the most is this man, has he probably has never thought about it since that day. And I was thinking about it every day and everything that I did affected me. So Speaking about it and finally like telling people it has freed me. Like I still think about it. It still comes up. I still have triggers and things like that, but it doesn't overpower me. It doesn't run my life. So it is okay to talk about it. If you have someone that you trust, go to therapy. If you don't have someone to trust, there's free options. And if you need help finding those free options, I will help you find those free options, but it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't mean that you did anything wrong, but talking about it frees you. You want to have the power. You don't want to give power to someone who did something terrible. Can you share where people could find you and maybe get some resources from you? I'm sure that there's a need for women that are going to be listening to this. Yeah. So for my coaching page, if you go to, I typically spend most time on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook and a few other things, but my Instagram is going to be Shamari L-A-B. So it's S as in Sam, H-A, M as in Mary, A-R-E-E, L-A-B, like boy. So Shamari Lab, essentially. And if you go to my Instagram, my easy tree is in my bio. So if you click on that, you'll see all of the that I offer at the very bottom. All of my social media links, my email address are listed. So you guys can follow me, reach out to me if you need any advice or resources. I can do my best to try to connect you to someone appropriate. Thank you so much for willing to share your story. I think that the end result where you're at now and just how your highest power God is using you to help other women. I think it's beautiful. 
Thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I feel like it was right on time. Like it was so needed. I'm telling people you got to speak up. You have to kind of put yourself out there and really kind of work through these things because there is a better life on the other side. And I have to live that. I have to be that. So anytime that I have an opportunity to talk about it, I will. So I appreciate you for doing this and for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my website, Ivania Talks Mental Health. And if you like this podcast, don't forget to share it. And you could also give me a review. I hope these stories inspire you. Until next time.